If you're not talking Army-Navy game, we're here to change that. Truth, misinformation, and classic blunders. We look into Craig Whitlock's Washington Post report. Navy faces separate active shooter events. And if it's the Patriots, is it cheating? All this and more on this week's Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for coming on board with us. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, gentlemen, first up is Rearview Mirror. John, I'm going to throw to you. What grabbed your attention last week? I was tracking the advent of cheating in professional sports. Um, I'll caveat this by saying that my opinion is not colored by my 100% hatred of the uh, New England Patriots and everything they stand for, but I found it very interesting that once again, they were uh, right back in the conversation about uh, their use of technology, their use of... kind of under-the-table dirty tactics to get over on their opponents. Can you give us some background? So, yeah, let's let's go back almost 10 years now to Spygate when uh, the Patriots were basically caught red-handed in getting illegal videotape of their opponents in order to get an advantage. And this is at the height of their uh, of their dominance, not only in the NFC, but in or in the AFC, but in the NFL overall. And, um, you know, you, you get a couple of years later and is Tom Brady, you know, deflating footballs or not deflating footballs. And now, uh, this past week, uh, the, the Cleveland Browns were playing the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, there were three members of the Patriots organization who were basically caught uh, filming the Cincinnati Bengals sideline. Uh, during that game. Ironically, the New England Patriots are playing the Cincinnati Bengals this coming week. So all of a sudden, the, the Patriots are back in the news about, uh, about cheating. And, and they've woven this, yeah, this narrative about how, oh, it's just a documentary about one of, uh, one of our advanced scouts and you know, blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. and then you get the Cleveland Browns people who basically saw these three people doing the filming and they just filmed the, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals sideline for an entire half. It doesn't sound like a documentary about an advanced scout. Um, right. And the Patriots immediately denied it. Uh, they threw these, these three web kids under the bus you know, and, and then Belichick comes out with this, with this very Belichick denial you know, I'm not buying it, all right? So you're paying for flights and hotels for three web kids. They're going to go to Cleveland for a game they're not playing in uh, to do a puff piece. And, and Belichick wasn't aware about it. Like, it, it, I, I'm, I'm with a lot of people out there who say that the coach knows everything that's going on in your organization and, and in your building. Right. Um, so it, it, if you're asking my opinion, my opinion is they were cheating again and uh, it's, it's shameful. They make me sick. I, I think it's disgusting. And I don't know what the NFL is going to do about it. The NFL has the tape, but this gets right back into this messaging debate about how they deny it, how they don't go ugly early. They will stand pat the way that they always do and, and deny, 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 and, and, and give everyone this alternate story. I, I just don't believe it's, it's believable. Um, and and they've they've become the victims of their own bad press and their own bad uh, personality in the sports world. Everyone just assumes that they cheat. Now the biggest benefactors of this story are the Houston Astros. Uh, so that you know now that the Patriots are right back in the news, mm-hmm. the uh, yeah the the Houston Astros are like thanks for holding our beer. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, that it's made almost no news the fact that the 2017 Houston Astros are are on the cusp of of being found probably very guilty of using uh, technology and tactics to steal wins and to get an advantage on opponents on a year that they won the World Series where they had 
camera people out in center field. They would, in real time, look at what the catcher's signs were. It would mm-hmm. get relayed via radio to someone in the tunnel right next to the dugout. And then someone in the dugout would, like, slam garbage can lids together if it was a breaking ball. Um, which, you, so, which is documented on, like, you can hear that on the video. You can hear that shit. And, yeah. and A.J. Hinch at the uh, winter meetings yesterday went out and, and became almost a sacrificial lamb for the Houston Astros. And, and did a presser, and they, they grilled him on it, and he looked and sounded guilty as sin. Uh, but he had to hide behind me, as we often had to, uh, as spokespeople for the Navy, we had to hide behind the, well, it's under investigation, and you don't want to soil the integrity of an investigation by commenting on it before it's done. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, we'll, we'll see how these two stories work out. Um, at a time, we talked last week about a time when, Sports is at a crossroads of popularity. The NBA ratings are really, really down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, do, we, do we believe in the purity of sports anymore? Do we believe in the Patriots, you know, stupid five or six Super Bowls in the last 20 years? Do, do we believe that the Astros won on the up and up? Um, how they message this going forward, how Major League Baseball messages it going forward, how the NFL messages it going forward, and how they, these teams are held accountable uh, is, is something to really watch. Um, and so I, I, I was interested in that in, in my review. It, it, it sort of made me, made me sick and, and yearn for, for days of uh, a better sportsmanship. We will uh, definitely be paying close attention uh, to everything you just laid out right there, being the, uh, the sports enthusiast that we are. Chris, how about you? What's in your rear view? So my rear view uh, centers around my uh, trip to California uh, at the end of last week. Um, you, you, know, you mentioned that we uh, are aficionados or, uh, or as I like to say, uh, geeks for sports. Uh, the, the other two things that I guess I geek out on are national security and uh, communication. And uh, the, this trip was um, the intersection of, of both of those things. Um, I uh, went out to, uh, um, to help one of our clients and uh, was out at the West Coast uh, Aerospace Forum uh, at RAND in, uh, in Santa Monica um, and was really um, interested in uh, the list of speakers that they put together to, to talk about um, not just aerospace uh, and you know how uh, platforms and tactics are evolving uh, m- mostly in the Air Force, but the use of data and uh, what type of platforms and what type of acquisition the Air Force and, and other air components in the different services uh, need, need to focus on. What struck me was just how well I thought the, um, the speakers did in kind of laying out their view of the problem and how they felt like they needed to, uh, to go after it. No aha other than um, I was really impressed with um, the, the depth and the amount of clear and concise uh, communication and how well the speakers had, had put together their, uh, their, their discussion points. Um, on the back end of that day, um, I had an opportunity to see and talk to uh, the playwright of, uh, of a new play, um, War Words. Oh, okay. Um, we sat down with Michelle Kohler Brooks. Um, she's actually the daughter-in-law of uh, Mel Brooks, uh, as well as uh, a gentleman named Steve Grunman from the Atlantic Council. And I, I was really struck by this. I mean, I, you, you know, we were asked to go cover this and kind of went, went to it, 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 I guess, with a for me, a pro forma mindset, like, okay, we're going to go talk about it. We'll cover it and then we'll move on. But um, this play is based on, you know, 70 to a hundred conversations with folks that have served throughout the 18 years uh, of the Afghanistan war. And Michelle, who really had, you know, no insight or no real connection to the military or the war in Afghanistan has taken those conversations and put them into an hour plus play as a way of talking about uh, heroism, villainy, pathos, sorrow. I mean, the full uh, range of emotion that that those who have served in that war um, have felt. Um, I I was really impressed and uh, they're going to, they're kind of testing it out there in the Venice area and um, they hope to bring it to D.C. So I, I put it on your guys' radar. It's certainly on mine. I'd like to go back and see it. 
if they're able to bring it to the Kennedy Center or, or elsewhere. And then finally, uh, my Friday was colored by um, the shootings down in Pensacola or the shooting down in Pensacola. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard to move beyond that. I mean, even though this was an, you know, a jam-packed uh, trip, uh, you, you know, once news broke of the shooting at, at Pensacola, Aviation Schools Command, where, uh, I mean, I, I started my Navy career and um, remember being in those classrooms and, and, and having the same type of people a- around me. Um, it was really hard to, to kind of, you know, move forward uh, beyond that. I, I found myself the rest of the weekend glued to, to Twitter or whatever news I could get my, my right. eyes on to, to learn what we've heard. So uh, just, a, just a terrible situation. Um, and uh, hopefully at the national and Navy level, we learn everything we can about how to prevent something like that from, uh, from happening again. Yeah, I know we're deep diving on something else, but um, that, that certainly captured my attention as well. It, it's a crisis uh, for the Navy, um, a communications crisis for the Navy and um, for our leadership. Uh, you know, it came on the heels of the Pearl Harbor event uh, which was certainly frightening. You know, I'm looking at Twitter right now as we speak on a Wednesday morning, and there's an NAS Corpus Christi um, shelter in place or active shooter scenario. Um, although it's being reported right now that no shots were fired, but uh, it, it's certainly something that the Navy has to look at. Uh, we had we had three of our uh, three of our brothers in arms, you know, killed uh, in Pensacola. That's saying nothing of the the terrible scenario in Hawaii. And and how do you how do you move past this? How do you message uh, something as significant as now grounding all of the international students in the schools command down at Pensacola? Um, when do you lift that? What what's the scope? Of, of the investigation, what's the justification for, for lumping everyone together and holding up their training because of the actions of one human being who may or may not have been radicalized or driven to his act of madness because of an unfortunate labeling of his mustache by one of his uh, instructors. So I know this isn't our deep dive segment, but it's, it's certainly something that I think is gonna command our attention for weeks to come. The Navy, as the organization that is primarily responsible for communicating this, I mean, they're, they're sort of in the, the, I guess, easier part of the crisis from a communication standpoint. And I know the, the word easier uh, it may sound awkward, just, just given the horror associated. But um, I, I mean, I think they did a great job of getting the facts out the best that they could and uh, coordinating with law enforcement, and then you kind of shift to the stories of heroism, and they did a very good job of helping the families to relay um, and to remember details about what they knew of their loved ones. And yesterday, the acting secretary of the Navy uh, posthumously awarded um, the ensign and the two enlisted folks um, their respective wings of gold as a way of recognizing both their hopes and dreams that have been tragically cut short, but also their heroism in, in the moment. Um, but at some point, this is going to transition to the ugly part of uh, communicating uh, the, this incident. And um, there will be uh, a number of drop balls that come to light. There will be a number of mistakes. There will be likely accountability and responsibility for this. and. Uh, um, that, that's where it really becomes tough uh, to be able to communicate effectively um, as you as you move move through this. So I mean, I, I certainly wish everyone involved, um, the, you, you know, the best, and you know, pray that they have the clarity to uh, to do their best because this is going to be important um, as the families and those that are close to the Pensacola um, really seek answers and seek an understanding of what happened. I um, I echo the sentiments uh, from both of you. Um, not much more to be said there. Uh, let it be known that that we hear uh, from provision advisors uh, on three C's in a pod. Uh, give our our heartfelt condolences to uh, to the families uh, and friends of our shipmates, uh, Caleb Watson, uh, Mohammed Haytham, and Cameron Walters. Um, a tragic day for the Navy. 
in a in a really unfortunate week uh, with uh, with separate events, uh, one happening in Hawaii uh, and the other down in Pensacola. As as uh, we round out um, our rear view, uh, I will sort of take uh, that sentiment and move it move it a little bit forward. As we've talked about here on the show, gentlemen, uh, and and this is this is something that I know bothers uh, each of us. Uh, as we talk about fatigue, uh, the fatigue of um, uh, of active shooters, uh, uh, the active shooter occurrences uh, happening uh, in our nation, uh, the the unfortunate normalizing of violence, um, uh, you know, amongst the, those two events that we talked about for our navy our navy shipmates that they had to experience. Uh, there was also a situation, excuse me, uh, where the Miami uh, Police Department um, was involved with a shootout uh, with some uh, with some thieves who had hijacked a UPS truck uh, down on a uh, on a highway uh, in in Miami, Florida, uh, and we were able to see that awful video, uh, and then the uh, just the the unfolding of everything that took place, where an innocent uh, driver, uh, as well as a um, uh, a vehicle occupant, uh, who got caught in the crossfire. Uh, these two individuals were killed uh, down in Miami just yesterday. Uh, we are still uh, reeling, I believe, from the uh, the Jersey City shooting. And just, you know, my rear view, and we, we talked about this a little bit off air before we started to record, is just, uh, what's the tipping point? When is enough enough? And I'm just, I, I was thinking to myself last night as I, you know, you try to turn away from the news just a little bit to try and have you know, a, a dinner with family or, or, or go over homework with your kids, man, what is happening? Wh- what, what is occurring right now? Um, it can be overwhelming. Uh, I know everybody's taking whatever precautions they, they need to take when they're, when they're out and about. And I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just not, uh, not the America, I guess, um, I grew up in. Yeah, well, you have to look at it objectively as a communicator. And and Chris and I like to joust uh, back and forth in a very friendly way, of course, about guns and gun violence and and, uh, gun ownership. Um, And and I don't want to politicize this too much, but as a communicator, I was very taken uh, and and struck by what the chief of police uh, for the city of Houston did uh, this past week. Um, and really taking this message and really taking this fight to the highest levels, um, you know, to, to shorten the story, uh, just like the young man who died in Jersey City yesterday, who was, uh, you know, who's just 39 years old, a father of five, um, you know, th- that's five kids and a spouse who won't see their, their dad again. He was struck down in the line of duty by, by people with guns and, uh, the chief of police in the city of Houston lost one of his officers too, and and he had reached the boiling point. And with officers standing behind him, uh, gathered the media for a press conference and basically took the fight to Congress. Um, went right at his two senators from the state of Texas, Cornyn and uh, Cruz, and um, and made a point about. Are, are we are we protecting the officers who are in charge of, of good order and discipline in the city, or are we in the business of folding to the desires in the lobby of the of the National Rifle Association? Uh, very very politicized and very uh, provocative remarks from someone wearing four stars on their collar um, as a chief of police somewhere, and and it's just where we are as as a country, as you said at the very beginning, that here's this chief of police frustrated and trying to find solutions that will save lives. And what was Ted Cruz's immediate response? Criticizing him for making it a political issue. Um, that, that to me seemed a little tone deaf. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this Republicans are bad and people who support the NRA are bad. I, I'm not, this isn't my platform for that. But um, I, I do believe that as part of this conversation, as part of your frustration, Bashan, which I think is, is felt by a lot of people out there, you need, more, you need more people like the chief of police of Houston who aren't armed with talking points, who aren't armed with um, 
you know, massaged uh, narratives about what we do and how we do it. And you need more just straight up emotion and frustration in order to push the needle in Congress. The problem is, as you're seeing with the impeachment uh, issue, which we probably thankfully for our audience won't address in this pod today, it, it, it just, the needle doesn't get moved for elected officials anymore. Um, it, it's just, it, it becomes another part of the, of the really uncivil debate. I, I find it hard not to go uh, or not to think about gun violence whenever, I, or the potential for gun violence, whenever I go anywhere, you know, crowded or anywhere where there's, it kind of matches the stories that have been in the news lately. Um, uh, makes me think a lot about my kids and how I would protect them and what I would do. And I mean, it, it really has almost become, I don't know if it's an obsession or a phobia. I mean, I, I really do think about it and, and worry about it j just because it is, you know, sort of front and center uh, in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if it's going to take that, unfortunately, that same sort of <laughs> psychosis uh, on a, on a national scale to get, to get people to hold their leadership accountable to do something. Um, and, and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, we've talked about this before on here. I, I, I can't tell you that I, I have an answer. And uh, I think it's a complicated issue, but I, I know something has to be done. I mean, th this just does not, to me, it's a, at this point, it's a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness issue. Uh, I mean, gun violence has become an issue that is counter to those tenants. Uh, and, and we got to do something. I agree. Amen. I agree. Well, gentlemen, we took a look back, and when we return, we're going to jump into deep dive. Stay with us. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back, and it's time to deep dive. Gentlemen, Craig Whitlock of the Washington Post in a multifaceted report over the course of this week is talking truth, misinformation, and our strategy, or absence thereof, in Afghanistan over the past 18 years. We're two days into the Washington Post report and it has already sparked our interest as it pertains to our Defense Department communicating with the American public. Now, gentlemen, the quotes from yesterday's piece, mostly from retired generals, was quite eye-opening. Quote, we were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing. That's from Douglas Lute, a three-star army general who served as the White House's uh, Afghan war czar during the Bush and Obama administrations. This harkens to a notable quote from the Princess Bride when it comes to classic blunders. Never get into a land war in Asia. John, I'll start with you. What is your take on what we've seen from Whitlock thus far? Craig Whitlock's piece is is incredible. Um, it, it makes me think immediate Pulitzer Prize, but then it also makes me think, holy cow, uh, what have we been doing for 18 years? And, and Whitlock has done a great job over the years. He covered the Fat Leonard scandal, which is still, uh, you know, really a bugaboo for the Navy. Um, the Washington Post, who they've often been targeted by, by President Trump and others, Mm -hmm. uh, they, they are speaking truth to power here. I, I remember John Woodrow Cox's series on school shootings. I remember his story on uh, Major Thompson, the history professor at the U.S. Naval Academy and that whole thing. They, they've obviously taken their time. They involved themselves in a three-year legal battle to get uh, this information and, and bring the truth to the American people. Um, and the and the article is or the articles are are eye opening. Um, and and as someone who served during the entirety of that eighteen year war, um, I, I I was was really disappointed. Um, but but a part of me just was not surprised. And that and that brings me to the 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 reason we talk about it on this podcast, which is the communications element of it. Um, who who was who was in the room? Uh, who was advising uh, people like Doug Lute, um, who, you know, obviously had reservations during the course of their service, uh, but, but, you know, who was, 
who is in the middle between their tactical level observation of the of the ridiculousness of the war and then how it was then communicated to leaders and then how we advise those leaders to then communicate it to the American public so that they could understand that we, over the course of 18 years, spent more than a trillion dollars um, on something that, that did really nothing to advance the ball in Afghanistan, led to many, many, many lives lost. And, and it's frustrating. And, and so from a communication standpoint, it's, I think it's, it should be a wake-up call for people in the defense press office, uh, for people in uh, the White House, for people uh, communicating on behalf of their services, for people who are still communicating over in uh, CENTCOM in Afghanistan. So for, for me, the, it's the communications part, you know, not to put the PAOs at the center of gravity, they're not in the story. Uh, Whitlock story it talks about me- much more strategic failures than than just PAOing. But but Chris, where where do you see it from from a communications failure amongst all of the other failures? I went back and forth uh, earlier in the week with um, Commander Salamander and um, a few other folks on on Twitter. We, we had this exact conversation, um, and, and what I said then is is really you know the same that i i believe now um first off i I don't believe uh, having lived through it you know as the two of you i I don't believe that any senior leader or professional communicator involved intended to deceive or bend the truth um i I never saw that i never felt that um I, i don't know if that's i don't know if that's relevant but i mean that that was my uh, that that was my take, uh, having lived through it. But I do think there are two specific factors that played into at least the communication um, bungling of Afghanistan and Iraq, um, and, and I think will haunt us uh, moving forward if we don't uh, if we don't make changes. The first is that we're just not good um, as a um, military. I would even say as a nation um, of admitting defeat, uh, admitting problems, admitting uh, adversity. I mean, we talk a lot about transparency. We talk a lot about, um, you know, getting ahead of something, going ugly early, you know, all, all those uh, catchphrases. But I, I still think culturally the idea of admitting, you know, whoever that person is that's responsible for admitting uh, adversity uh, r- really struggles with that be- because of the perception, um, and, and in many cases, the reality that an organization or a leader isn't going to recover, you, you know, when they get out in front of the front and admit uh, problems. That's number one. Um, number two, um, I think we've become very good at lying to ourselves. Um, I think at the center of this is the trends of the post-fact world that we live in. But I mean, we we just have become very good at positive self-talk. Uh, telling ourselves that we're the best, telling ourselves that success or victory or nirvana, as I write on Twitter, is is just around the corner. Um, and, and it's not contrived. I mean, it's who we are. It's it's kind of how we're raised. And so because we believe it, we communicate it publicly, um, even when advisors or reports or whatever the source material is may tell us in the moment that we're uh, we're not right, um, that we're, we're not, uh, you know, that our beliefs are not correct. We still feel the need to go out there and, and, and communicate that because it's, it's such a sense of who we are. I think that this haunts the military. I, I can't speak for politicians um, because I think they're motivated differently, but uh, I very much believe the military's motives are, are pure, um, that there is uh, this idea of service that drives us. But the fact that we're unable to admit mistakes and that we are, um, you know, we really believe that we can turn it around at any time, um, I think colors the way we carry out uh, operations and it it absolutely colors the way we communicate. And if we don't spend some time on these issues, um, I think we're going to make the same mistakes over and over and over again as we move forward. It is an in-depth uh, report. Uh, it's going to run through Sunday. Uh, Craig Whitlock uh, yesterday, where he was uh, talking about spin. Uh, today's uh, report is titled Strategy. 
Uh, tomorrow we'll see nation building followed by corruption, security forces, and then lastly, uh, opium. Um, again, this is uh, looking back at 18 years in Afghanistan um, and uh, a struggle uh, with truth and misinformation uh, as, as put forth from the DOD to our American public. So uh, we're going to uh, continue to take a look at that again as uh, as three communicators and, and three former uh, military communicators uh, who were who were intimately involved, um, you know, my my time in Afghanistan uh, from twenty uh, over over twenty eleven, uh, where I, I found myself with uh, with various task force and uh, working directly for General McMaster. Um, I had a uh, I had a uh, front row seat um, under under General Petraeus uh, in a lot of what's going on and what's being talked about uh, in in Whitlock's report. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing to watch this uh, over the next couple of days. Chris, you had made a uh, an allusion in your Twitter conversation about you know what the military does, how we communicate internally, and how it's possibly affecting our ability to communicate externally. And and the the comparison there was, um, you know, or the analogy was how we do fit reps. And and I've always been, I I, I fashioned myself a very good fit rep writer uh, when when I was in the Navy, and and I try to advise others on how to write theirs. And in the end, when you look at it, when you step away from the military and you look at how we do fit reps and you look at the, just the, the self-licking ice cream cone and the, and the unbelievable just <laughs> largesse of, of the whole thing, you know, where give us, give us 28 lines or however long the, the block 43 was on the, on the fit rep. And, and despite the fact we may have been average operators or average performers, we will find a way to, to only talk about the good stuff. And, and that's, that's what I really was struck by. And, and, it, and it hit me almost epiphanically when, when you brought up the fit rep thing, that, that that's almost what Afghanistan is. It's a bad fit rep. It's a bad performance. It's years and years of bad performances. But the only way we know how to talk in the military is to take all of that shit and try to make it sound good. And, and I don't know who's responsible for, for turning that trend around. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the point I was trying to make about this idea of lying to ourselves, right? I mean, and it starts in our, uh, our fitness reports, our evaluations for those that, that may listen that you know, don't have a military background. I mean, this is you know, tantamount to your you know, end of year report or whatever sort of uh, HR evaluation you get. Uh, we tell ourselves from a very young age that uh, if you are candid and you point out people's shortcomings, that um, that you will end their career um, or make it very hard for them to advance. So you go out of your way to um, uh, to highlight the positive and you use you know code or kind of unwritten uh, dialogue to convey uh, what you really mean. And so the messaging to the individual, and, and I think the messaging to the organization is, is that you know, we're not interested in telling the truth. We're not interested in making real substantive course corrections. And um, it, it has real consequences. I, I mean, I, this is not meant as a poke on anybody and this discussion is not meant to diminish um, anyone's service uh, in Afghanistan. Those people like you bash that either fought or communicated or did a combination of both in Afghanistan and Iraq are patriots. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we ought to be very thankful for, uh, for, for their service every day. And I don't mean that in a trite way, but we're, I think we're going to find ourselves in these sorts of, you know, quagmires or, um, or messy situations if if we don't address this lack of integrity um, at the uh, at the very basic human level uh, of of the military. And, and again, I cannot say this enough. Like I am so guilty of this. Was guilty of it for twenty years. Was guilty of playing into the system, only telling people the positive, 
um, on, on official reports, um, believing only the positive for myself, like overlooking my own, uh, you know, warts or shortcomings uh, until it became problematic. And uh, this stuff, it, it, it's salami slices, right? I mean, it, it stacks on top of each other and, and becomes a very big issue uh, if we don't uh, if we don't address it. And I, and I think this one particular uh, point is the root of really any scandal um, that the military has dealt with or will deal with future. Yeah, I, I think that it goes back to what I've always said, you know, in, in the entirety of my PAO career, I never used the phrase thoughts and prayers. Um, I, I believe it to be an example of what we're talking about. When you, when you lose somebody, we, we hide behind a a very in vogue talking point like our thoughts and prayers are with these people. Um, when, when I lost people at the Naval Academy, um, you know, I was, I tried to be as honest as I could. And, and we often came back to the idea of, no, I, I don't, I don't understand what happened and we're hurting and, and it sucks and we have to figure it out. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to try to communicate about something that is so horrific and, and mind boggling to just, to just give it a thoughts and prayers, very superficial brushstroke. Um, and, and that's what people need to do. That's what communicators need to do. And that's how the three of us need to uh, evolve going forward. How do we, how do we advise people um, in, in our worlds uh, to to be more frank and truthful and and basic in in communication because it's getting to the point where more exposes like like Whitlock's uh, are are going to turn audiences into very cynical people who who don't believe the talking points anymore and they shouldn't um, particularly with regard to Afghanistan this is huge and I hope it leads to weeks and months. Of, of congressional oversight, congressional hearings, so that, so that we can figure out how, how over three administrations, and you know, this isn't Trump's fault, I like to blame everything on Donald Trump, but this is not Donald Trump's fault. Um, three, three administrations played a role in, in, this, in this madness, and, and some, something needs to change. What's even more worrisome, in addition to the fact that it, it spanned three different administrations. I mean, isn't this the central lesson out of Vietnam? I mean, isn't this what people said that we did or shouldn't do post Vietnam? Um, I, it's just hard to imagine how we got how we got here. And and I know, I mean, for for all the people that are praising Greg, and I think he does deserve praise. He and the Washington Post. I mean, there are people that are poking, uh, you know, poking at specific points, and and they should. I mean, this is a good debate, but I I, I really hope that it's not going to take another issue. Uh, to your point, John, that we take the time to really dig into this, not just in the context of Afghanistan, but in the context of our national security and national values, uh, and, and we figure out how to not make this mistake again. Chris, I've, uh, I've heard it before, and I'm sure you have. Although history may not repeat itself, it sure does rhyme. <laughs> right. Listen, uh, Craig Whitlock's uh, reporting runs through Sunday. Again, check it out in, in the Washington Post, and uh, we will continue to, uh, to monitor it, watch it, uh, and, and talk about it. Stay with us. Uh, we're going to come right back as we look out on the horizon. You're listening to Three C's in a Pot. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three C's in a Pod with Provision Advisors. Uh, gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon at what the days ahead may bring. Uh, allow me to wax poetic here just for a moment, will you? Um, a storied rivalry in our nation's great history that dates back to November 29th, 1890, in a matchup which took place on the banks of the Hudson River at West Point Military Academy. Gentlemen, from Franklin Field to Yankee Stadium, the Polo Grounds and FedEx Field, these two teams made up of America's backbone have met on the gridiron to perform one of the greatest executions of gamesmanship and competition that we know within our sports universe. 
What am I talking about? Well, for what some may see as an absence of advanced physical talent and skill, Army-Navy is a formidable display and abundance of heart, will, and sacrifice, which moves this game from one yard marker to the next. Finally, it's the determination to always push forward. Chris, John, this Saturday, December 14th at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, PA, will be the 120th matchup between these two service academies, where the Army Black Knights will match up with the Navy Midshipmen with only one goal in mind, sing second. I will throw it to you, gentlemen. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about this rivalry and what it means to this nation. I believe it's the best rivalry that exists. Um, I wrote up a piece this week. Um, we uh, posted it uh, through our LinkedIn. Um, we got the Annapolis Capitol to run it. Um, something that the three of us collaborated on uh, but something that I really believe in on a personal level. And, and I've said it before on this podcast, I have a unique perspective. Uh, I attended West Point uh, my very first semester in college. Uh, it went very, very poorly. Um, and then eventually uh, matriculated as a Navy student and, and ended my career uh, teaching and, and also uh, serving as the PAO at, at the Naval Academy. So I've seen both uh, institutions from the inside and and I really believe uh, in the in the merits of this rivalry um, I, I talk about it a little bit in in my piece people can talk about uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees they can talk about Alabama Auburn they can talk about Ohio State Michigan they can talk about anything mm -hmm. um, I really do believe that in this landscape of sports that Army Navy presents people an escape, a, a true, a true conversation about about amateur athletics, um, heart and determination, as you said, uh, leading us off. You know, as Garrett Cole is signing a three hundred and twenty-four million dollar contract with the Yankees, uh, the money. young men—it's yeah, a lot of money. Uh, the young men who are about to play in this game on Saturday are taking finals this week uh, at West Point and Annapolis in thermodynamics or cyber operations or, or any of the number of classes they take as they, as they balance 21 credits on top of their military obligations. And, and still on Saturday, they, they walk upon the fields of friendly strife, to, to quote MacArthur, um, you know, in, in the hopes of sowing the seeds of victory. Mm -hmm. uh, this this game means a lot. I believe it means a lot to this country. It means a lot to to many many audiences, and and that's where I believe the game has evolved very uniquely, um, particularly in the last ten years, to 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 capture that attention and remain relevant. Um, the Army Navy has now shifted from that first weekend in December to the second weekend in December, where it gets. Its own week. Yes. Uh, other than the one double A football playoffs, which are still happening, which I don't think are even televised, uh, this is the only one A college football game being played. Um, ESPN College Game Day will will be in Lincoln Financial Field or in the parking lot outside of that. Uh, you know, podcasts from all over the country will will broadcast live from from the game, and and this that's a real credit to. The athletic directors at the time at West Point, it was Boo Corrigan um, at, at, uh, at Navy, it's Chet Gladchuck, their sports information offices, their administrations, in making sure that this game remained relevant, pushing it to the second weekend, and then taking those two weeks after the, after the conference championship games have been played in the SEC and the Big Ten and all, everywhere else, They've taken the opportunity to make this relevant in, in this new battle space, which is social media. Um, and they've, they've created their own, their own conversation to include these uniform reveals, which are sweet. Um, yeah, I, I remember when I was the PAO at the Naval Academy, we came out with the new uniforms uh, for the game in 2015 that had the ships on them, which were like, the first time we ever really went to like that kind of incredible helmet. And we had people from the white house and Congress and everywhere asking us for this helmet. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so they brought uniform reveals, which are sort of in the same vein as like the ridiculous gender reveals that are taking place for babies on social media. And that's captured attention. They've taken spirit spots, which I don't think really exist for Auburn, Alabama or for Paul Bunyan's acts or for the Apple Cup or any of the other quote unquote rivalries out there that people like to say are the best rivalries. Navy has taken all of these different communications avenues like spirit spots and uniform reveals and everything else to keep this game relevant. And, and then after all of that is said, the purity of the rivalry, the, the, the fact that they all march off together, they sing first, they sing second, and then they know that a lot of them six months from that game will be marching off to, um, to serve our nation. Um, that that unique story doesn't exist anywhere else and that's why i believe it's it's the greatest game there is it's not just the greatest rivalry it's the greatest single game um that i can think of and that's why despite the fact it's going to be a driving rainstorm and shitty out on saturday as it kind of always is in mid-december for this game i will be there and and i look forward to singing both alma maters which i know by heart and and supporting both of these teams but as you guys well know in the end, my heart says go Navy. Chris? Thanks, Patch. Um, first off, uh, great, great opening. Um, those words, uh, I mean, they really uh, ring true uh, and, and resonate uh, with, with me. Um, John, your op-ed in the Capitol yesterday uh, was just fantastic. I mean, it, it followed much of what you just shared, and the, the longer version is, is even better. Um, and, and we'll post that on our uh, on the Provision Advisors LinkedIn page so that people can enjoy the, the full version. For me, Army-Navy is very, very personal. Um, I'm 43 years old, uh, and I mean, really, most memories that I have <laughs> throughout those 43 years, they center around uh, Army-Navy. And I know that sounds silly. Uh, I grew up in a Navy household, uh, Army-Navy, long before I knew I was going to go to the Naval Academy and serve in the Navy. I mean, Army-Navy was almost like a holiday in our house. Whether my dad was home or whether he was deployed, uh, we made a point to, to come together and watch it. Even if I wasn't home or I was doing something, um, I was very much attuned to the lead up, to the score. Um, and not because I cared really one way or the other about the outcome, but I mean, it was just such a special part of, uh, of our life. Some of my fondest memories are um, with my dad going to, to Army Navy. I mean, I'm just so excited, and I, I love the idea that we get to share that with the country. It's just such a special event, and the fact that those of us that have enjoyed it for so long get an annual opportunity to share it with new audiences is just so cool. And I look forward to sitting there in the rain with you, John, on Saturday, and uh, I will not sing the army alma mater. I, I don't care, uh, <laughs> but I, I will not do that. But uh, I, I really, uh, I really do look forward to it. And uh, even more from for me, I look forward to it for others who will get the chance to uh, to enjoy it. Folks, we we urge you to tune in this Saturday, uh, December fourteenth, once again at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, I know ESPN College Game Day will dedicate all of their. Uh, all of their um, their airtime uh, to this matchup. Uh, once again, the 120th matchup between uh, the Army Black Knights uh, and, and the Navy Midshipmen. And uh, I'm truly excited, uh, as I am every year, uh, to uh, watch this game and uh, poke a little fun uh, at some of my uh, some of my Army brethren out there. It's uh, it's really a good time. And, and I wish you both uh, safe travels uh, as you travel up there to Philadelphia uh, to watch this game. Uh, gentlemen, before we close out, is there anything else on the horizon that we're looking forward to uh, to watching this week? I know there's a lot going on here uh, in the seat of government here in Washington, D.C. We're, we're definitely always keeping an eye on that. Uh, but do you have anything else out there that you're looking at uh, from a communication standpoint or just uh, as your interest? Anything at all? Uh, I'll end really quickly with the um, Richard Jewell movie that's coming out. Yes, Clint um, Eastwood directed, yes. Yeah, it, it, an, another, uh, another interesting conversation about um, a unique time in our nation's history during the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, the bomb that went off 
um, in the park uh, just outside of um, yeah the Olympic venue. Uh, the the movie is is has received a lot of credit for being a good movie, uh, but it's it's another opportunity for people to um, you know to to see things that are um, not necessarily a good time in this nation's history for uh, you know for organizations like the FBI. Uh, who, you know, are painted very poorly um, in this uh, movie um, as having sort of pinned at the very beginning stages of this investigation uh, the blame for the bombing on Richard Jewell. But then the, the thing I'm really watching on the horizon is how this debate goes back and forth with the family and the former uh, colleagues of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter, Ms. Scruggs, who is portrayed in the movie by Olivia Wilde, um, that this this characterization of the press as as the bad guys, um, as the you know the people just sleeping with FBI agents in order to get a tip or a story, um, I, I've I've found it interesting how the Atlanta Journal Constitution has responded to the movie and pushing back on icons like Clint Eastwood uh, on behalf of the integrity of their reporters. Um, I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan. I'm a huge fan of his movies. Uh, but I'm also a huge fan of of the press standing up for for what they believe is right and the merits of their reporting. Um, so the movie apparently does not necessarily represent what the Atlanta Journal Constitution's memory is of that. Um, I, I'm I'm interested to see as as the weeks go on and and whether the movie receives a lot of a lot of viewership, whether it receives Oscar reviews or Oscar consideration how they continue to, to look at this interesting dynamic of, of reporters and whether they are the cause of, of bad events or merely the, the reporters of said events. Well, we will uh, definitely be uh, watching as that movie um, debuts and, and the conversation continues uh, about what took place down there uh, in Atlanta during the, uh, during the Olympics. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Uh, folks, we want to thank you for joining us here on Three Season a Pod. Uh, general reminder, only 14 more days of Christmas shopping. A uh, little less for those of you celebrating Hanukkah out there as uh, uh, the Festival of Lights begins on the 22nd of December and runs through the 30th. A little bit more uh, if you celebrate Kwanzaa for all of our Kwanzaa listeners out there. Uh, that starts on December 26th. And for those of you celebrating Festivus, well, air your grievances and get yourself ready uh, for feats of strength. Uh, in the, the aluminum pole. There you go. There you go. And until next week, we want you to be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Go Navy. Army. There you go. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.